I'm excited about this new series we're talking about. Get God out of the box, as I explained earlier. It, 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 we're taking we're taking some different, uh, or maybe I didn't explain all of this, but we're taking some different venues, different people throughout the throughout the scriptures, seeing how they live, seeing some of their encounters and experiences with God, and how that relates to us, and uh, all in an effort to try to get a, a good, healthy, uh, right view of God and who He is and what He cares about. So today we're, we're, in, this, we're in this thing with Moses, and um, my title there, His Presence Can Change Us. And I'm going to take you to a passage um, in the Scriptures, in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament, that really defines a, a pretty defining moment if you will, of uh, Moses. Before I do that, let me just show you this. I love this quote. It's really not just for today, but it's really for our whole series on this particular issue. Uh, it comes from an old preacher, really, really old, long, many, many, many years, early in the church, uh, a guy by the name of Chrysostom. He said this, a comprehensible God is no God at all. And that's a, that's a lot to think about. A comprehensible God is no God at all. How many times have you ever said or thought to yourself, you know, God, I, I just don't understand. Yeah, I have many times. And it's like, because God's got a whole different deal going on many times. So I, I think that sets the tone for what we're going to talk about. And I want to just jump right to Exodus. Kind of give you a little bit of a, a background as to where we're going to pick up the reading so you understand what's going on. In, in the book of Exodus, Moses has, has already received the Ten Commandments and what we call the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law didn't just include the Ten Commandments, but the Mosaic Law actually included around 613 commandments. Okay? Well, if you knew that or not. But when you understand the Mosaic Law, it's pretty amazing because it was given at a time when the children of Israel were in this wilderness journey through, through the Sinai Peninsula, which is just one of the most barren places you could ever see in your life. And for 40 years... They're wandering around this, basically this desert in Sinai Peninsula. And, uh, and so God gives them some instructions, not just for that, but for their life. And a lot of people go to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, where a lot of this is written and so forth, and they're like, I don't get this. Why does God care about some of these issues? One of the, one of the things that always comes up is pork. Why did God say that the, that the Hebrews couldn't eat pork? You know, there's really a very simple reason for that. And had nothing to do with uh, whether or not you like pork or anything else. It had to do with the fact that they didn't have the ability to cook it to, uh, um, to you know, with trichnosis that, uh, is, that is in that. He knew, God knew, that if they ate pork and some other things, that it would hurt their health. So it wasn't like it was some sort of a religious thing. God was like, hey, I love you. I don't want you getting hurt. You know, and, and, and a lot of the laws that were laid down ceremonial as well as some of the dietary laws. A lot of these laws, all of them, 613 altogether, were laid down for their good. There were a lot of other things that were, were going on there in that whole issue. So a lot of misunderstanding about that. A lot of people don't understand why God did that. And yet when you get into the context, it's very simple. But what I want to do is get you... Moses goes to the mountain, Mount Sinai. I've been there. Mount Sinai, he, well, at least the place they think it was. And, and, and he went to the top of the mountain and... Um, and it's really an interesting place. It's just very, uh, if you've been to Colorado, if you've seen any mountain, well, even, even Europe, and you've seen any mountain above Timberline, that's about the way the whole thing with, with the Mount Sinai is because it's in a desert and there's, there's hardly any growth whatsoever. It's a fascinating place. And, of course, and, and again, whenever you go to some of these places, nobody knows for sure. Is this the mountain that Moses, it's a, it's a mountain range, Sinai, 
the Sinai Mountains. And it's a whole mountain range, and they have what, what they think, scholars think, was the mountain that Moses was on and when we were there. It's kind of interesting. You, can, you, you get there, and, and it's just crazy because they've got every, every huckster in the world there at the bottom of the mountain, you know, selling you Moses trading cards and everything else. And, and uh, I mean, I, I didn't see Moses trading cards. But it was about that bad. And, um, and they have these camels where you can take a camel up to the top. You know, and Charlene's like, hey, honey, I want to take the camel. Can I take the camel up there? I said, honey, I will pay for as many camels as you want to take up. Just don't let me ride one. I'm not going to get on that filthy-looking animal. I mean, they are just nasty-looking, okay? And uh, so she rode up, and I said, plus, if Moses walked up, Rich is walking up. That's just that's the way it is, okay? That's, that's part of the deal, you know? Plus, I had on my backpack with my computer in it so I could journal and everything, and I just... And I had to wear pants because we'd gone into a, into a place where you had to have, couldn't wear shorts. One of the holy sites that, I don't know, the Catholics or the Greek Orthodox, one of them had just, you know, whatever. But anyway, it was, uh, yeah, so it was, it was hot. But I, I walked it because I thought Moses walked it, okay? And I was walking on that path. And I was honestly thinking, this is probably the path Moses was on right here. Nice, you know, it's kind of a nice path and everything. And it wasn't paved, but, but uh, you get up there and, and, and unlike... A lot of things that you would see, particularly around here in terms of mountains. I mean, it's just, it's just barren. Had my first, by the way, side note to that in terms of mountains. I uh, had my first experience yesterday on an eastern ski mountain. <laughs> anyway, no, I'm being arrogant here. For those of you who don't know me, we spent about 18 years in Vail. So we're kind of snotty when it comes to skiing. But I was with a friend teaching him how to snowboard. So we, I accomplished it, but it was fun. But anyway, unlike the things around here. Um, it was, it's just craggy and, and, and keep that in mind when we read this, he, he walks up to the top, he gets the 10 commandments, God talks to him. It's a weird deal. Nothing's quite happened like that before or since, except in the part that we're about to read. It was just a very strange thing. Don't think it happens every day. It didn't. God talked to Moses in terms of, and you're going to see how in just a moment, in terms of giving these commandments and getting them, the covenants and so forth written down. I'll explain all that in a moment. So God's doing all that. He comes down, Moses does. And that's, if you, if you remember the story, if you saw that ancient old movie, and I don't want to tell you how old I was the first time I saw it, that, that older movie, uh, Ten Commandments, which I think was 1960 or somewhere in there, where Moses, who was in the movie Charlton Heston, uh, he comes down and he sees the people of Israel. This is, this is true to the text. He comes down the mountain and, with all, and, and has the Ten Commandments on two, two stone tablets, and the people have kind of gotten rebellious, and they've built a golden calf, and there's some kind of an orgy deal going on. It was just really a pretty rough deal. Moses just goes crazy, and he throws the Ten Commandments that are on, on tablets of, uh, of rock, and they break into millions of little pieces and gets mad, and they kind of preaches to them. They repent. They say they're sorry. They say, we'll do whatever God says. So Moses now is going back up the mountain to talk to God again. And, and that's kind of cool, I think, to think you can go back up and talk to God. Now, granted, it's a long journey, and it's a long walk and, and, and so forth, but but it's kind of neat to think this is Moses who's, who's really talking to God. I mean, I've talked to God a lot. I haven't quite had things happen to me the way Moses did. I haven't heard any voices, and apparently Moses did. You say, does that happen? No, this is the only, there's only a few times in Scripture we see that happening. So Moses is going back up. All right? And that's where, we, that's where we pick up this, this historical narrative. 
And here's Moses talking, and we're in chapter 33 of Exodus, verse 18. You can follow along with me on the screen. Then Moses had one more request. Please, let me see your glorious presence, he said. God, God, Moses talking to God says, God, I just want to see your presence. That's kind of a, you know, that's kind of neat, I think. 19, the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will call out my name, the Lord, to you. I will show kindness to anyone I choose. I'll show mercy to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, stand here on this rock beside me. As my glorious presence passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, cover you with my hand until I have passed. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. And when you're there, you can see a hundred places or more where you could kind of sneak into a little little craggy rock area, and God can kind of put his hand over over him. You could see how, how he could do that. There were a lot of places like that. Um, Verse 28, Moses was up on the mountain with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. In all that time, he neither ate nor drank. At that time, he wrote the terms of the covenant. I'll tell you more about that in a second. The Ten Commandments. The covenant was more than just the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments are in there. On the stone tablets. When Moses came down the mountain carrying the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant... He wasn't aware, watch this, this is really cool stuff. He wasn't aware that his face glowed because he had spoken to the Lord face to face. And when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. I mean, this would really be great, wouldn't it? You go spend time with God and you have this look on your face and you come out and people are like, oh, wow, he's a holy man. I'd love that. Credibility, instant Credibility. Doesn't work that way, but it, had, it worked that way with Moses. They could really, they could, he, they just because this guy's been with God. Now, and this is amazing stuff. Verse thirty-one. They were afraid to come near him. There in verse thirty, verse thirty-one, Moses called to them and asked Aaron and the community leaders to come over and talk with him. Then the people came, and Moses gave them the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. I wonder why he do that. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting, and that's where he would go to pray, whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he removed the veil until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him, and the people would see his face aglow because he'd been with God. Afterward, he would put the veil on again until he returned to speak with the Lord. Now, what was that all about? He'd go in and spend time with God and get this heavenly glow, if you will, you know. He'd walk out and people would see him and they'd say, wow, that Moses, he's a man of God. And he was, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not making any other assertions. He was truly a man of God. The scriptures later on say he was the most humble man in all of scripture, with the exception, of course, of the Lord himself. So this, this was a real, this, is, this guy's the real deal. But even people with the real deal sometimes let ego get in the way, maybe, maybe a little, maybe a little something else get in the way. And you know, I'm gonna, because the question that I come away with from there, among other things, what's that all about? Why did he put a veil on again whenever he would be with people? Go in, talk to God, have this great shine, go out and talk to people. But then before he would go back into that, he'd put that veil over his face again. Why would he do that? Well, let's go to the New Testament and see what we can find out. All right? We're going to go to 2 Corinthians 
chapter 3. And again, we'll show it for you here on the screen. Now, keep in mind this whole covenant thing. And, and you, can, you can call it a covenant, you can call it an economy, you can call it a dispensation, but it basically defines, God, God, it defines God's promise to us. In the Old Testament, we had the Mosaic Law and the covenant there, keep the Mosaic Law and I'm going to bless you and, and you're going to be acceptable to me and so forth and so forth. Okay, But we have a new covenant today and we're going to read about that new covenant. And I'm going to tell you right now what the new covenant is. You know what the new covenant is? It's pretty one-sided. It's mostly God. He says, I'll bless you if you do what? Have, just trust Jesus. Just have faith in Christ. That's it. You say, wow, that's a good deal. Yeah. We don't have to go through all the gyrations and all the mumbo-jumbo and do this and do this and don't do this and you know, keep, the, keep the candle burning or whatever. Nothing wrong with that. But do I don't have, have to do any of that? No, you don't. Let's look and see what the text says, all right? Don't take my word for it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. That old system of law etched in stone led to death. This is the Apostle Paul talking, who was Jewish. Raised by, taught by one of the great, greatest Jewish teachers ever, Gamaliel. He says, yet it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. He's talking about that again. For this face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. So now we're getting a little key here as to what's going on. Verse 8, shouldn't we expect, shouldn't we expect far greater glory when the Holy Spirit is giving life? Let me interject something here. Moses nor any of his contemporaries had what we know as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, there, there was the Spirit of God in the Old Testament at temporary times for temporary things, but it's a very temporary type of thing. The Holy Spirit came to live in the life of those of us who are people of faith about 50 days after Jesus rose for, uh, res- was ascended into heaven. We call that Pentecost. You can read all about that. It's in Acts, the book of Acts chapter 2. That's when the Holy Spirit comes. So this is a new thing. Moses didn't have this. We have, and, and you need to understand this, those of us who are people of faith, those of us who've trusted Christ, have this permanent indwelling of the Spirit of God. It's a great thing. Well, it's usually a great thing. Sometimes it's not a great thing because you do something you shouldn't do, and then you, all of a sudden you start thinking, oh, I shouldn't have done that. You know, and you kind of you, you feel like that's God saying, you know, that wasn't the way you should have spoken to that person. That wasn't the way you should have acted. You shouldn't have done that particular thing. Oftentimes that is the Spirit of God working inside the life of the believer. You know, so you say, well, that's just a guilty conscience. Maybe not. Now, hopefully it's not just guilt. Maybe it's something you're going to, it should be something that you do something with. And that is, confess it, you know, and move on. Then you don't feel guilt. All right, now let's go back to the text. Verse 8, shouldn't we expect far greater glory when the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old covenant, which brings condemnation, which it did, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new covenant, which makes us right with God? In fact, the first glory was not glorious at all with the overwhelming glory of the new covenant. So if the old covenant, which has been set aside, was full of glory, then the new covenant, which remains forever, has far greater glory. Since this new covenant gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like, here it is, watch this. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face. Why? So the people of Israel would not see the glory fading away. Aha, we're on to you, Moses. He did that so they wouldn't see the glory fading away. You say, well, why did he do that? I mean, I, I can't think of any reason other than, you know, and I don't want to beat up on Moses because he's 
far greater than I will ever be in my wildest dreams in his life. But I mean, I think this is an area where maybe the ego might have gotten, he didn't want people to see it fading. Maybe they wouldn't have listened to him as much. I don't know. Maybe he felt like that was the best way to handle it. But that's why he put the veil over his, over his face. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to just very quickly hit you with four really quick bullet points here on why this new covenant that he speaks of in these verses, 2 Corinthians 3, why this new covenant is much better than the old covenant. The new covenant, what's the old covenant? Old covenant, Mosaic law. Let me add something to this. It may be not just the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, all 613 commands. You know what? Some, some people might have transposed that into other things, into other laws. It might be the law of the church. It might be the law of normal Christianity. There is no such law, but some people think there's such a thing. This is how normal Christians are supposed to act. Some, somebody told me that this morning after the first service. They said, all my life I was told, you know, this is how you're supposed to dress. And nobody ever stood up in front and said that, but there was a certain expectation. You, you act this way and you do this way and, and so forth and so on. And they said, you know, I never thought of that as being a law before, but it was, it was the law that I had. So, so it might be that law, maybe the law of Moses. Now, why is the new covenant, this new one that he talks about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, better, and, that's gonna, and I'm going to show you why, than the old? So there's four things I want to show you. Very quick, very simple, I think very, very clear though. Number one is because we have the internal indwelling spirit of God. I explained that a moment ago. Let me just repeat it just briefly. That means that when you come to Christ, when you, when you come to put your faith in Christ, the Spirit of God comes into your life. Will you feel that? Sometimes. Might be a mystical thing. Not, maybe not, though. Some, you, know, you know, what I've learned over the years is lots of times it depends on our personalities and, and all kinds of things. I've known people who've had radical changes in their life by God, and there wasn't any kind of ooey-gooey, you know, smoke and mirrors, or there wasn't any kind of, oh, I felt God. It wasn't any kind of thing. It was just God working in their lives and, and, and taking away some things and adding some new things. It's, just, it's the way the Spirit of God works in each one of us individually, the way He does. It's an amazing thing. And here's the cool thing about this. We don't have to worry about fading away like Moses did. This is God, now, this is God working in our lives. And, and it's not a matter of how I look. It's not a matter of something fading away. It's a matter of change that takes place internally that works its way to the external as opposed to the other thing so many times, starting on the outside and not worrying too much about the inside. So it grows, it, 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 as one grows in their relationship with God, so does, this, so does this inner growth, or maybe even you could say this inner glow, if you want to say it that way. So the number one reason why the new covenant, explained here by the Apostle Paul, is better than the old covenant, is because we have this internal indwelling spirit of God. It gives us new life, gives us an ability to, 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 to live a life and to think about life as God would have us. It doesn't mean we're perfect. doesn't mean we don't screw up. doesn't mean sometimes we don't do things that we stop and we're like, oh, I can't believe. doesn't mean that doesn't happen because it still does. But there's a, we're going to show you how to handle that. That's the first thing. Second thing is this, because we don't live under the weight of the Mosaic law or any other law. Please listen to this and don't miss this because so many times churches and Christians, and I don't care where you are, any, any church, any, any group of Christians oftentimes get into this whole thing of, of certain rules, certain laws, certain ways, 
And, and here's the thing that I want you to see, and this is just part of, it's so important, part of the whole thing of trusting Christ, part of that deal is we're not under the weight of, of any keeping of a rule. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean I don't have standards. It doesn't mean there aren't certain things that I, that, principles that I will do, certain things that I, it doesn't mean that I don't have integrity. But there's not, it's not that I'm, that I'm sort of, I've got to look at, well, what, what do I do in this situation? I'm, I'm, there's an internal compass that's guided there by God, the Holy Spirit, that works inside of our hearts and inside of our lives. And we're no longer under that weight of the law. And um, let me show you something. This is important to see because a lot of times you'll get to that and I'll say something like this and you'll say, well, why did they have that law of Moses as an example? There was a very good reason for it. Let me show you from the book of Romans. Just, just follow along. Romans this is Romans chapter 3. He's talking about this very thing. Verse 19. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose, here it is right now. He tells us right up front. Its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to bring the entire world into judgment before God. For no one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what, it, what the law commands. This is the Bible. No one, did you get that? No one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what the law commands. For the more we know God's law, the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying it. You ever feel that way? Ah, because, you know, and, and here's the deal. I remember this one time because I, I saw a professor, not my favorite professor in terms of teaching, but one of my favorite professors in terms of integrity, and I just thought he was one of the most, and still do, one of the, I just felt like he's one of the most godly men I've ever known. And I remember asking, I saw him several years after I graduated, and I was, I was in Colorado, and we were back in, 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 for a little while, and, and I was just seeing him some, someplace, some socially uh, thing, and I said, so how you doing, Doc? And he said, oh, you know, the heart's des- desperately wicked, and who can know it? And I'm thinking, dang, if he says that about himself, I'm going straight to hell, and I'm not going to pass go. I mean, because this is... This, you know, this guy is, you know, I thought he was as good as it gets. But his point was simple, and that is this. The more you understand about God's standard, the more you realize, not just I don't do this, but I, I, may, not, I may do what I'm supposed to do and not do what I'm supposed to not do, or not supposed to do, but it's more than that. There's an internal guide. There's an internal compass. There's an internal thing that shows you even though I may not, as Jesus says in the Gospels, even though you may not kill somebody, you might hate somebody with your heart, which God says is wrong. So what he's getting at here is this. The more we know about God's law, the clearer it becomes that we aren't, we, we haven't, we, we aren't obeying it. Now, we'll keep reading this because I've got it here. But now God has shown us a different way of being right in his sight. He's got my attention. Not by obeying the law or any law but by the way promised in the Scriptures long ago. We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. When we all can be saved in this same way, no matter who we are, watch this, or what we have done. I like that. I like that. I'm not a priest, even though some people call me that, and I don't care. But oftentimes people have said to me, especially in this community where we have so many folks who come from a Catholic background, that that I need to confess something. And I'm like, look, if I can help you to move on, I'll be happy to listen to this. But I don't want you to think that by telling me whatever it is you're telling me, you're going to tell me that I somehow can forgive you because I can't. Don't have those kind of powers. Wish I did, but I don't. 
but I would encourage you to go to God with that. If I can help, feel free to tell me whatever you want to tell me. I'm having a hard time believing God can forgive me, they would say. And I would say, oftentimes take them to this passage, some other places. They say, you don't know what I've done. And I'll say, I don't care what you've done. Yeah, but you don't know what I've done. <laughs> I say, you know, it doesn't matter. Because <laughs> right here, it's very clear in the scriptures, we all can, be, we all can be, come to Christ in the same way, no matter who we are or what we have done. That's for me and you. That's forgiveness. There's no rigmarole. There's no jumping up and down and doing this or doing that or saying this so many or that or this thing. It's just going to Jesus, just going to Christ, saying, here I am again, God. Dang, I screwed up. And I need your forgiveness. Every time. Every time he's there. Isn't that amazing? Don't have to walk into the temple backwards. Don't have to do backflips. Don't have to look for smoke and mirrors. You know? I suppose there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff, but I'm just so glad you don't have to do any of that. It's just, it's just, it's, and that's, it's just so cool. We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus to take away our sins. This new covenant is so much better because we don't live under the weight of the Mosaic law or any law. And that's good news, folks. That's good news. Third thing. It's better, new covenant's better because we can come to God anytime, any place. Don't have to go to the temple, to the, to, the, to the tent of meeting in this case. Don't have to go to the top of Mount Sinai. Once or twice is plenty, believe me. Okay? Um, you don't have to go, you know, you know it, it, what's, what's the deal? Let me just show you this because I've got to show you this. i just got to show you this passage. If you've been here uh, before, maybe you've heard me use this, these verses before, but I don't care. These are just, these are, you can't, can't get tired of these passages. Hebrews chapter 4 puts it this way. That is why we have a great high priest. There's only one priest, okay? Who has gone to heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us cling to him and never stop trusting him. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. I always get blown away by that. He understands our weaknesses, for he's faced all the same temptations we do, yet he did not sin. You have a problem with lying? Jesus understands that. Some of you guys in business have a problem with maybe spinning the numbers a little bit? Well, first of all, be careful because I don't want to visit you in jail. Secondly, Jesus understands that temptation. Some of you guys or women have a problem with impure thoughts. Internet. Jesus didn't have the internet, but he understands the temptation. And never once did he give in. That's pretty amazing to me. Always interesting to me that, that, that whenever a person fails miserably in some area of life and then is reformed, and, and I'm not being critical of this at all, I think it's, it's a great thing, um, that oftentimes people, for instance, if the guy's been an alcoholic for a number of years and then, and then he, he comes out of that and he's no longer an alcoholic, oftentimes people will go say, hey, talk, let me talk to me and tell me about your experience, and, and that's a great thing. Somebody's, you know, been, you know, 
through a number of an adulterous of adulterous relationships and repents of that and, and, and really starts getting his life right and people maybe who may be struggling with adultery or, or, or immorality or whatever may go to them and talk to them and say, tell me how, tell me how you work with us. One of the cool things about Jesus is he has struggled with it all. With it all, according to the text. <laughs> and he never once gave in. I don't know about you, I, I've often wondered how Jesus would have responded to, to the New York, New Jersey traffic, you know? You know where I'm going with this, don't you? And how many times when you ju- it, just, it just comes out. Maybe it comes out of your mouth. Maybe it's just in your mind. But that stupid jerk just did whatever he did, you know, or she. And maybe for a moment you say those things or think those things that you shouldn't think, and you're thinking, okay, I'll go. Jesus, I, just, I always thought about this. I just think about this from time to time. He would always respond the right way. It's pretty amazing. I don't know, just think about that. It's a, great, it's a great passage. Understands our weaknesses. He faced all the same temptations we do, yet he did not sin. Now watch this, verse 16. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. Just when we need it the most. This new covenant thing, meaning a relationship with God through Jesus, is better because we can come to God any time, any place. I can't imagine how, how marvelous it must have been for Moses to be tucked away in that rock and have God just come on by. You know, I've got a picture in my mind how it must have happened. It must have been a lot of wind and all kinds of other cool stuff. You know, I've got, got this picture of what that must have been like. I can't imagine the glory in that. Moses has no idea what it means to walk every day like we can and have the indwelling spirit of God in us and being able to go to God anytime, anyplace. People, we got the better end of this deal, okay? We got the better end of this deal, and that's, that is amazing. Don't take that for granted. Last thing, very quickly. New covenant is much better than the old covenant. We have the indwelling spirit of God. We, we, we don't have to live under the weight of the Mosaic law because we, we can come to God anytime, place. Last thing, because we have freedom. We have wonderful freedom. I was reading from the passage in 2 Corinthians later on in verse 17. It says this, The Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, He gives freedom. Why is that? This is a rhetorical question. But why is it that freedom is one of the most missing elements among people of faith? We're all looking to put each other on some kind of a guilt trip or a manipulative trip or some kind of a, you've got to do this and do this and not do this. And Why is that? Now, does that mean, sure, we still have standards. Sure, we still have principles that are, that are in the scriptures and so forth. But this freedom thing, freedom from rules and regulations that are supposed to make us holy. Freedom from people and groups that try to manipulate and try to control us in some other way. There is freedom, and it's a freedom that I don't think we talk about enough, and we certainly don't hear about enough, and we certainly don't practice enough. Just freedom in having a relationship with God that I'm not bound to so many different rules and regs, whether it be the law of Moses or something else. Let me give you one last quote, and we're going we're gonna to close. Because I want you to see this. It comes from a writer, a, modern, a writer today, writes Christian books, and it's, I think that's a great quote. Let me give you this, and, and, and it talks about all these together. Being touched by God's extravagant grace ignites something within us that causes others to notice. That's not why we do it. That's a cool result, isn't it? Being touched by God's extravagant grace ignites something within us that causes others to notice. 
It's not going to be because my face shines brighter. But it might be because I'm reflecting inwardly the love of God, the grace of God that I've experienced. And it shows in how I talk and how I deal with people, how I treat people, how I treat my husband and wife or wife, my kids, my parents. That's the deal. Being touched by God's extravagant grace. I love that. Ignites something within us that causes others to notice. There's something different about that person. Let me pray for us as we think through these things. I'm going to ask the band to come on up. Let me pray and just ask God to work in all of our lives on this. God, I, I, do, I do thank you for our time here. We're thankful that we can think through these things. We, we're thankful, Lord, that, that we can uh, just allow the Spirit of God possibly to, to work in our hearts and to just reflect and think on these things. Lord, we're here, and you know each one of us intimately. We're here from all different walks of life. We're here from all, all different spectrums on our journey of faith, and some of us are here still trying to figure out if we have any faith. Well, God, I pray that you'd bless each one, wherever we are. Help us to think. Help us to just contemplate these things that, that are going to make a difference, certainly for eternity, but in the short term, will make a difference in our lives now. And we thank you for that and for Jesus who, who lived and suffered and died and went to the tomb and rose again to give us life eternally with him and, and, and a life like we're talking about here, a life that is, that is free and a life that, that uh, has the freedom of just responding to what it means to have a relationship with you, our Lord and our God. And we thank you and we pray that in, uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.